0: This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierrosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we begin Chapter 23. It's leadership training time. Jesus has lessons for anyone that desires to be an effective spiritual leader. And that turns out to apply to any believer alive on the earth. Every believer reflects the spiritual light of Christ in a dark world that's desperate for truth and forgiveness. That makes us leaders. So to lead well, we need to discard a few things and develop a few things. And in doing so will become more reflective of the great God that saved us. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So follow
1: along with me if you have your Bibles. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying... The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on man's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor and at banquets, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is, Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted." We're going to talk about the type of spiritual leadership that God blesses, okay? Then before you tune me out saying, I'm not a spiritual leader, therefore I can go to sleep now. No, because check this out. If you are a husband, a wife, a daughter, a son, a member of a community, whether you're in school, a church, in your city, whatever, if you live on the earth, God expects you to exercise spiritual leadership. Why? Because you are the light of the world. And therefore people will look to you on how to live a godly life. So God expects you to exercise leadership if you are a follower of Christ. So let's all learn then leadership vices to discard. That's what I'm calling the first part of this passage here. We're going to list some leadership vices to discard, verses 1 through 7. And the reason I say leadership vices, it's because these are natural inclinations already. We look to the world by default on how to lead and as we learn from chapter 18, and now another reminder, Jesus' value system is the opposite of the value system of the world. And he that's how he concludes this entire passage. So let's look at some of those leadership vices. Now, after silencing the scribes and the Pharisees and other opponents here, Jesus now addresses a crowd of observers. Again, this is on Passion Week. Presumably, that crowd included a group of sympathizers, as well as people who were curious about him. But Matthew tells us that the disciples heard these words here. And that's significant, church, because these were the guys who were going to lead the early church not many days from the scene here. They had already been called apostles by Jesus Christ in Matthew 10 verse 2, and you know we know what that word means. It means someone who was sent on a mission with a message. They would lead the Christian movement, and they needed to understand the difference between fabricated and faithful spiritual leadership. And therefore, Jesus uses the scribes and the Pharisees as negative examples here for us. So let me talk to you about the first vice to discard here according to verses 1 through 2, and I'm going to call this one infatuation with position. False teachers usually want to commandeer the pulpit because that's where they can ensure that everybody is looking at them. They can ensure that they have everybody's attention in the pulpit. And the reason for that is by divine design because preaching by nature is designed to influence. I want you to know every Sunday you come here, I don't want to just inform you of what the Bible says. I want to influence you. I want to persuade you to live in a certain way based on what the Word of God says. And because of that nature of the art and the calling of preaching, for some reason people like that idea. False teachers want to use that opportunity in order to lead people astray or lead them away from Christ. Personal following, personal agendas, whatever the case is. No wonder church, almost every church split in history can be traced to someone or a group of people wanting to commandeer the pulpit, the place of leadership that they covet the God-given, God-regulated, delegated, and temporary authority of the preacher. Now, the preacher has authority. I want you to know that. But I also want you to know that I, or any other preacher, I'm not the source of any authority over your life. When I bring Scripture to bear upon a particular situation, when I'm teaching you the Word of God, whether I proclaim it from the pulpit, whether I teach it, write it, whisper it, or, God forbid, sing it, I function as an agent of divinely binding, thus says the Lord, type of authority. It's not my authority, it's the authority of the Word of God. Now, as soon as I remove the Bible from the conversation, from that point on, you are now hearing the opinion of a finite man. You understand that? That is true of every preacher, every teacher there is. The only authority we have is when we say, Thus says the Lord, and we point to the text. The moment we remove the text from the conversation, we're giving our opinion, which is as good as yours. Now, corrupt spiritual leaders care more about position than people. They crave the opportunity to influence more than the honor of representing the mind of God as revealed in the Word of God. To them, the chair of Moses or the modern pulpit serves as a platform for their own agenda. They will do anything necessary to pursue personal ambition, even if in the process they misrepresent what God has said. And no preacher, no teacher, no growth group leader is immune from this temptation. It's already in our flesh. That is why it's something we must discard and not merely reject. It's already in our hearts. We must make sure that we purposefully walk away from it. None of us will ever accidentally stumble upon the type of leadership that God blesses. It needs practice. It takes a lot of work. Let's talk about the second one. The first one is infatuation with position. The second vice is preoccupation with power. Verses 3 through 4. Jesus instructs his disciples and the crowds here to listen to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, well, listen to them as long as they are proclaiming truth. You see, you notice that. As long as they teach the Old Testament, the Bible at the time, that is, as long as they, like Moses, communicate accurately the word of God. But Jesus makes sure that he separates the example from the education because spiritual leadership involves, again, the modeling for believers. The leader serves as a visual aid and a visual application for the principles that he or she teaches. And what he means by this in verses 3 through 4 is that truth remains truth, even when uttered by heretics. That's what he's saying here. So by this standard, Jesus then clarifies that every other religion other than biblical Christianity places unnecessary burdens on people's shoulder, on their followers. For example, they proclaim, Earn your way to paradise. Or pay your way or somebody else's way to the afterlife. That's every other religious system except from biblical Christianity. Now, the the self-appointed shepherds of Israel here did that very same thing. They added extra biblical commands, something that God never intended for people to carry. The burdens that God never wanted his people to carry. Jesus doesn't specify them in this particular passage here, Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12, but he simply labels them heavy burdens. There are heavy burdens. Now, when the disciples heard these words, they envisioned a man packing up cargo on a donkey or an ox for a journey. Those are heavy burdens. At some point in the journey, the weakened and dehydrated animal would struggle to keep going. A concerned owner, for example, would ease the burden by discarding the unnecessary items that we can call junk. But a loving leader would not only do that, but go the extra mile and pick up the load and care for the needs of the animals here. Therefore, from that image, from that picture, we can extract three lessons that emerge very clearly from the text here. Number one, true spiritual leaders, the type of leadership that God blesses, do not pile junk on people's shoulders. They place no extra biblical expectations on the flock. For example, withholding forgiveness or premature break of fellowship or demanding public confessions of private sins or insisting on exaggerated and unbiblical restitutions and setting up the bar so high, higher than what God has determined. Or anathematizing critics or dissenters of personal preference. That is a hallmark of bad, corrupt spiritual leadership. This is not tender shepherding. Number two, godly spiritual leaders help people get rid of the extra burdens by lovingly, faithfully, and consistently showing the one who says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Third lesson, good under shepherds embody Galatians 6 verse 2, which reads, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You see, loving leaders come alongside people and offer to share the sorrow of the sheep, tending to their wounds tangibly and lightening their loads. For example, paying a bill if necessary, cooking a meal or accompanying in a difficult conversation. They don't preach to the hurting. They are just there. It's the ministry of presence. There will be a time for Bible sharing, but at the moment, just being there, putting your hand upon someone's shoulder, saying, I love you, and I am praying for you. God's going to get us through this. That is biblical leadership, the type that God blesses. The exact opposite of what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing because they were all about power. You must follow me because of power. You must follow me because of my credentials. These evil leaders preferred position and power over service. And that leads me to the third leadership vice here that we must discard. I'm going to call this one Obsession with Perception. Verse 5 here. Corrupt spiritual leaders pursue the endorsement of people more than they want God's approval. At the altar of worldly accolades, they negotiate convictions, they trade commitments, they sell loyalties to the highest bidder, and they consider the impression of spiritual vitality more important than authenticity. So it's all about the impressions. It's all about people believing that I am spiritually vital. And understandably then, They want to hide their imperfections as much as possible and they fail to consider that genuine spiritual leaders acknowledge their own sinfulness. In fact, they're the first ones to say, if you're looking for perfection, I am not your guy. They constantly ask God for sanctifying grace. That's true spiritual leadership. They're not obsessed with perception. They know, they're painfully aware of their own imperfections and they say, Lord, please have mercy on me. I am the sinner. I need your sustaining grace. I need your enabling grace. Otherwise, I cannot lead this flock. If you don't know what phylacteries were in the text here, uh, there were small cases containing Scripture passages that the Jews wore on the left arm or on their forehead in a literal application of the Shema. You remember the passage of Scripture called the Shema that we talked about a few weeks ago? Let me read that to you again and, and so that you can understand that they went a little overboard with the literal application of this. Hero Israel, says in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 8. The Lord is your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commending to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead." So we are literalists as well. We interpret the Bible at face value. We understand that. But the point here that these guys missed is that their devotion was only superficial and theatrical, really. The phylacteries, they they lengthened them. They, they wanted everybody to see them, to see, look at how devoted they are to God. We must follow these guys because they're in a higher level here. They're perhaps, you know, they're more in tune with God than we are because of their spirituality. But they failed. Because the psalmist says in Psalm 119 verse 11 that we are to treasure his word in our hearts that we may not sin against him. That's more important than wearing on the skin. Now sadly, in this particular case, the word of God had not yet penetrated the hearts of these guys, not because of any alleged deficiency in the word of God, because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, we're told in the book of Hebrews, and it's therefore able to cut and penetrate the heart, But because of the hypocrisy of these guys and the obsession with perception, it's all about how people are going to perceive me. It's all about PR. That's a vice of spiritual leadership that we need to get rid of. Because again, we naturally default to that. We want people to look at us and have a higher impression than reality. That's all of us. None of us are immune from that. We must make sure that we are aware of that. And we need to address it if we are looking to be the type of spiritual leader that God expects us to be. Number four, fascination with prominence. Verses 6 through 7. The scribes and the Pharisees here saw themselves as dignitaries. They were entitled to the red carpet according to their own views. And they wanted the VIP treatment. Now, miss their title. Oh, if you don't call them by a particular title, then you would be in trouble because you would get educated on proper addresses. That was the life of the scribes and the Pharisees during that time. Fail to usher them to the places of prominence in the synagogues or in the banquets and all that and you will incur their wrath. That was the reality back then. In church, it's the reality of today as well. In many circles, many Christian circles, you have pastors that demand to be treated like royalty. And if you fail to address them by a particular title that they prefer, then you'll be in trouble. You get schooled or you get at least the body language that communicates that they are frustrated with you. Now, pay very close attention here. Verses 6 through 7. Don't read these verses as prohibitions on expressing appreciation For your Bible teacher. That is not what Jesus is saying in here. Paul instructs the Philippians, for example, to hold men like Epaphroditus in high regard. That is in Philippians 2 verse 29. So the Bible doesn't prohibit us from expressing appreciation and having a high view and an estimation for the people of God. It's not okay to demand to be treated a certain way or to demand the royal treatment. This is not royalty here. It's not about the position. It's about service. And all of us are supposed to follow the not just people that are called to be pastors, but that's the type of leadership that God blesses. That's the pattern that He expects for you and for me. What we want to do in the local church, obviously, then, is to nurture a biblically healthy relationship between shepherd and sheep. Obviously, the pastor is not supposed to be the emperor of the church, but he's not supposed to be the doormat either. We must constantly check our hearts to see if any of these vices are in there. And if they are, we say, Lord, please discard them from me because I want the type of spiritual leadership that you bless. And in the process of checking our hearts, if we get frustrated because we're not getting the royal treatment, we must repent. Pick up the rags and start washing dirty feet because that is the type of leadership that not only God blesses, but that Christ modeled for us. So talk about serving in the body of Christ. Be ready to wash feet and to not receive any word of affirmation because all you need to care about is the affirmation from God. So these are four leadership vices that we must discard. They are already in our hearts. We need to ask God to search our hearts and get rid of them. But let me talk to you about two leadership virtues to develop. Verses 8 through 12. Present leadership virtues for us to develop. And again, the disciples had to detox from the pharisaical model. What Jesus is saying is the purpose of Jesus telling them this is don't look at them for your model. Look at me. He said it in the end of the paragraph. I am your leader. He says, I'm Christ, I am your leader. So look at me. He says, but don't follow that pattern. And it would be easy for them to follow that pattern. To just default to that paradigm because that's what they had observed their entire lives. They had to see themselves as servants and not owners of the flock. That is very important. We're not owners of anybody. We are servants of the flock. And the flock belongs to the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. So if you talk about spiritual leadership, we need to not only be willing and ready to wash dirty feet, but we need to be ready and willing to lay down our lives For the sheep, literally dying if necessary, putting ourselves in danger for the sake of the flock. That is a true spiritual leader. Someone who will say, I will take the arrows for you, for your protection, instead of sending the sheep to be slaughtered by the predators. Therefore, church, dying to self is the foundation of the type of leadership that God blesses. Do you want to lead well? Abandon your preferences. Die through your dreams pursue his dreams, sacrifice personal ambition, rip off your personal agenda, and you will be operating at the highest level of Christ-likeness, and you will never lack followers, the ones that God will bring to you for effective disciple-making. So let's understand the two leadership virtues, and then we'll close our Bibles today. We must cultivate those if we desire God's blessing in our leadership. The first one is deflect honor, verses 8 through 10. In other words, Whenever any type of honor comes to you, you immediately transfer that to Christ. Immediately. Like the previous sentence here, these verses are not prohibition of recognizing people's giftedness and calling. When we're talking about verse 8 here, don't call anybody rabbi, don't call anybody father, and, and don't, don't be concerned about calling or being called teacher and so forth. Again, these are not prohibitions on recognizing people's giftedness and calling. Once again, the reason I say this is because the New Testament lists some of them. For example, in First Timothy 3, 3, 1, we already talked about the overseer. The word bishop from the Greek episkopos or episkopae or the word elder from 1 Peter 5.1 and presbyteros from which we get the word presbyter or elder. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 talks about those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you and the Lord and give you instruction. Now I want you to know that the word diligently labor here, that term in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 communicates the idea of work to the point of exhaustion. So really, the call of the shepherd is to work until he dies. There's no retirement. This is the man who spends the entire day shepherding sheep, correcting people, loving them, exhorting them, educating them, crying with them, lovingly showing them the word of God, preparing lessons, and he gets home and he collapses on the couch. That is the idea. And by the way, Paul even instructs the people of that church in Thessalonica, esteem them, honor them. Very highly in love because of their work, verse 13. So Paul is not contradicting Christ. He's saying you, you should have a high appreciation for these people. The book of Hebrews even identifies your leaders, he says, who keep watch over your souls. So there is such a thing as someone who keeps watch over the souls of the flock. And the term watching over communicates the idea of sleeplessness. Watching over the flock is someone who spends the night at the door of the fold, protecting the flock from wandering off and keeping predators from coming in. That's the idea, that you spend nights praying, agonizing, crying for the flock. So there's nothing wrong with recognizing people's calling and giftedness. The problem is that the Pharisees love to be called rabbi. They love to be called teacher. It fed their egos. Again, they, they love these titles not because of their calling, but because in their minds, their titles gave them permission to lord over people. But Jesus reminds his disciples that he is their leader, and he is the head of the body. And as the head of the body, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So these are titles. Apostles, we don't have them anymore because according to Scripture, the qualification for being an apostle is you have to have seen the risen Christ and you have specific uh, gifts of miracles there. So no one can be called an apostle today. Run from anybody that claims to be an apostle. prophet, and some of these titles here are for the equipping of the saints. That's the purpose. It's not for the building up of your ego. It's for the equipping of the saints. So yes, we have to identify people's calling and function in the body of Christ. Otherwise, we would be very chaotic here. We, didn't, we, didn't, we wouldn't know who does what. However, we must never demand to be treated a certain way or never demand to be addressed by a particular title. That goes beyond Scripture. We receive the gratitude and the kind words of the flock as well. And according to verses 8 through 10, we must immediately, when we receive those, immediately transfer the honor to Christ. Because think about this, how foolish is it to soak all that glory? He is the one who equips us. He is the one who called us. He is the one who placed us in our current setting and gave us opportunity. He gave us a sharp mind or whatever the case is, ability with words and the ability to teach and lead. So he deserves all the honor and all the glory. Think about this. Trying to steal the glory of God is something that Satan has done from the beginning. So it's not only carnal, it's satanic, it's diabolical. To try to steal the honor and the glory that belongs to God. Because remember, according to Isaiah 14, verse 14, Satan wants to be like the Most High. But the same book in Isaiah 42, verse 8, says that God will not share his glory with another. So the first leadership virtue that we must develop is we deflect the honor to God. And the second one and the last one here is we desire humility. Verses 11 through 12. It's not natural. Again, we don't desire humility by nature. We desire glory. We desire popularity and fame and fortune. But once again, Jesus explains that his value system describes greatness in paradoxical terms, in opposite terms from common knowledge. To him, the way up is down. And and, and godly spiritual leaders recognize this paradox and they embrace the way of lowliness and they pursue insignificance. Consider this, church. You want to be a leader that God blesses pursue chase after insignificance, namelessness. Don't pursue recognition or acknowledgement or the accolades. Quite the opposite. Pursue deliberately insignificance. Be the lowest of the low. You can always go lower. Don't pursue position, power, and prominence because true shepherds consider themselves unworthy to serve. It's not like, I can't believe God is not using me in that place. I can't believe no one stepped into my wisdom. No, no, no. It's the opposite. Lord, I can't believe you are allowing me to even be a part of this. So do you want to achieve greatness according to the divine perspective? Desire humility. And that's the type of spiritual leadership that God blesses. Now, are you a Christ follower who lives on this earth? That makes you a spiritual leader. And if you want God to bless your life, discard those vices and develop those virtues we discussed
0: today. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.